0: I'm bringing swagger back. Are you grateful for your pastors at this church? Can you put your hands together real quick? (laughs) Pastor Jim, Pastor Mark. I said this to the 9 a.m. service that we are standing in someone else's sacrifice. Uh, 32 years ago a man said yes to God and look what uh, we get to reap as a harvest because of that, yes. It's just an incredible thing to be in the house of God where people from so many different backgrounds, cultures can come together under one name, and that's the name of Jesus. And, uh, and so I'm so grateful to be here with you. I'm also grateful for the youth staff, Pastor Jonathan and all those who have hosted. Can you guys put your hands together for the youth staff, generation staff? Such an incredible team. I am so looking forward to you. Uh, camp this summer. And I just believe God is going to do an amazing thing in the lives of your children. And uh, I just, you know what I love about ministry is I come to give, but I always feel like I receive more than I ever give. And so um, especially at camp, there's just such a powerful uh, presence of God that happens at camp. I I remember, so I was was born and raised Long Island, New York. Any New Yorkers in the house today? Yes. Love it. Uh, I was born and raised Long Island, New York. And so um, I, was, uh, I, I was born in church, raised in church. Church kids, where you at? Anybody raised in church? You know you're a church kid because you can recite the VeggieTales theme song right here, right now. Uh, I was born and raised in church. My uncle was a church planner, Parents were heavily involved in the ministry. and uh, uh, But something happened... In my life that I never expected would happen. You know, I was taught that God was the good father and that he was a healer and that he was a loving savior. And so when I was 11 years old and that loving father allowed my earthly father to pass away from cancer, I just could not understand who this God really was or if he was even real at all. And so I'm a see it to believe it type person. Uh, So I I didn't see the proof, and so I decided to do my own thing. For about six years, I lived in every level of depravity that's out there possible. I got involved in drugs, alcohol, uh, immoral relationships, was uh, cutting myself, suicidal, diagnosed with clinical depression, anxiety. I mean, every dysfunction that's out there, uh, I was labeled with it. And I remember, though, when I was 16 years old, uh, I went to a youth camp. And uh, that's why I'm so passionate about camp. It's because God met me at a youth camp. Now, I wasn't looking for God. I was running from God. But how many of you know that even when you're running from God, God is running after you and he runs faster than you do? He chased me down. I encountered the Holy Spirit for the first time in my life in such a radical way. And he spoke to me and said, you're going into full-time ministry. And so I highly encourage you to send your child to camp. And if you can't afford it, there are, are ways. I know that this church is made available through sponsorships um, that, that they want your child at camp. Finances should not be the issue that your kid misses out on the experience and encounter with God. And so um, I'm, I'm really, really excited for this morning. I have a word for you. Are you ready for the word? Are you ready for the word? I am what they call a back preacher, okay? So when I preach, you need to back, okay? So don't confuse the color of my skin for the character of my style, okay? I may have been raised in a conservative white church, but I got filled with the Holy Ghost in a gospel church, okay? So, so we're going to have fun. Can we get a little loud in church today? Is that all right? This is the rowdy crowd. Uh, I was raised in an Italian home So I, I have an Italian mother um, Who is probably watching Actually she texted me right before She said I watched the 9am And I'm watching the 11 So hi mom I love you uh, she's, she's my number one fan And I, I'm so grateful for it uh, But I, I had an Italian mother And I don't know if you know anything about Italians Any Italians in the room? Any Hispanics in the room? Oh god uh, So I say it like this Italians and Hispanics were basically the same. We yell a lot, we argue a lot, and we eat a lot. So it was all good. We're, we're the same. And uh, so I was raised with a little Italian mother, and she was small. But do not confuse size with strength. Okay? You, you make mama mad. When mama says no, she means you don't cross her because you're going to get crossed in the face if you do. See, I told the service before, I didn't ever get time out. I don't know how you were raised, but I didn't get time out. I got knocked out, dragged out, kicked out, every other out, and so my dad was the same way, I mean, just massive, burly football, playing 6'3", hairy guy, and uh, I remember this one time during the summer, we uh, we would pack up, my dad had a four-wheel drive Jeep, and we'd take it down to the beach, and we would drive on the sand, find a remote place on the beach, and camp out for the day, I'll never forget one day, my dad and my older brother we uh, were hanging out, and they were walking out to the water. Now, I was about seven years old at the time, and my dad knew that I was too small to be out in the water with those size waves. So as I am super competitive and have to outdo my brother at absolutely everything, uh, I see him going out into the water, so I have to do the same. Now, my dad looks back at me, and he says, Jared, no. Now, when I hear that, there's this rebellious thing on the inside of me that I got to, I just, I need to know why. I, I understand that you're telling me no, but I'm going to ask why. Anybody like me or I, do I, I just need to get saved? And every time I ask why, I got the most frustrating response any parent can ever give. Because I said, what does that mean? I, don't, I still don't know. That's not a good answer. And so he's walking out with my, my brother, and I'm, I'm like closely inching behind them, just trying to be real quiet because parents have eyes in the back of their heads. And so he knows what I'm doing. So I finally get to the water. But the water hits my ankles and comes up to my knees. He looks at me and says, Jared, stay there. No. I got that thing. I, just, you know, I stayed in spot, but I was kind of like moving, like a little dance. And finally I take one more step, and I hit into this part of the water where the current Starts moving in different directions. Kind of called this thing called a riptide. And all of a sudden, this massive wave just comes. I wasn't ready for it. I was just staring there. And it's like, you know when something scares you so much, you just, you can't even move. This wave just comes over and swooshes me under the water. And I'm flipping upside down, arms flailing. I'm breathing in water, freaking out. It was probably like two seconds that I was under the water. But it literally felt like an hour, and I thought I died immediately. So I'm sitting there, freaking out, thinking I'm never going to see my family again. This is it. Seven years. That's all I got to live. <laughs> finally, what felt like an eternity, I finally get washed up on the shore. I'm sitting there coughing up water, sand, in all different places that doesn't belong. I did not ask for that exfoliation. <laughs> and this couple walks by, an older man and a woman. They walk by and they look at me and they start laughing at me. I'm seven years old. I almost just died. You're laughing at a child. What's wrong with you? And then I looked down. And I realized my shorts were back with the waves. So I ran back to the Jeep and I hit myself. It's one of the most embarrassing, humiliating stories of my life. I just got real vulnerable with y'all. Do you still love me? Do you still accept me here? I was thinking about that this week. And I was thinking about how oftentimes whenever we hear the word no, A lot of times it's for our own protection. There was something that my father saw that I didn't see. There's something he knew about the situation and the circumstance I was about to walk into that I didn't see and I didn't understand. And so many times, rejection is for our own protection. Don't touch the hot stove, you'll burn your hand. Don't walk into traffic, you'll get hit by a car. These things are no's in our life that keep us from getting hurt. They keep us from walking into situations where the waves are higher than we are and stronger than we are. And oftentimes, that rejection that holds us back is actually keeping us from something that is going to be hurtful to us. But I was thinking about what happens when God says no. More specifically, what happens when God says no to something in our lives That we really, genuinely, wholeheartedly believed was a promise that he made to us. What do we do? How do we respond when God says no? I think there's a a sting of rejection that our generation struggles with. I know for, for my generation, especially amongst millennials, rejection is not a fun, I don't think it's fun for anybody, but we really don't want to be rejected. And now, with social media, and you don't even have to ask anybody on a date to face-to-face. You can just slide in their DMs and make it happen. If y'all don't know what that is, it's okay. Ask your teenager later, they'll explain it to you. <laughs> We're so afraid of rejection, but, but I, I, I believe that there's something that God wants to speak to us today through His Word, that maybe, just maybe, the no that seems to be hanging over your life carries a little bit more weight A little bit more depth to it than you think. I want you, if you have your Bibles, to open up to 2 Kings chapter 18. I'm going to be reading out of 2 Kings. We're going to go from chapter 18, and then we'll switch over to chapter 20. So put your finger on both places. But I don't think that there's any story that illustrates this concept of faith in the midst of a no than the story of King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah, the Bible tells us, is a king... Amongst a line of leaders that the tribes of Israel have had for many years. And if you remember, God originally was the leader and the king of his people. But when the Israelites began to look around at other nations and compare themselves, which, by the way... Nothing ever good comes from comparing yourself with those around you. God has called you to run your race, your story. Why don't you live your story out and stop focusing on everybody else's? Because it's only going to lead to more confusion in your life. It's okay. You can can clap at that. That's all right. But the the Israelites, they begin to compare themselves. They begin to look at other nations, so they cry out for kings. And we know that multiple kings come that lead the Israelites into more bondage, more idolatry, and it just becomes a mess. But King Hezekiah is cut cut different from the rest. King Hezekiah is a man of God. In fact, the Bible describes him to be a man of faith. I want to read you a little bit about What he's described to be. It says this in 2 Kings 18 verse 2. He was 25 years when he became king. He reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. Skip down to verse 3. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. He removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars cut down wooden images and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Naheshton. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings. So Hezekiah's got a great testimony. The Bible's setting us up. Not only is he a young, charismatic leader, but he's a man of faith. And we know that he's a man of faith because his faith has proof. And I really wanted to talk to you this morning about the kind of faith that God is looking for in your life because we talk about faith a lot in church, but I'm not so sure that we fully understand and grasp what faith really is. And for faith to be real, for faith to move mountains, you must understand that faith needs fruit. Faith needs follow-through. The Bible says that King Hezekiah didn't just believe conceptually, theologically, that God, Yahweh, was the real, one, true God. It says that he acted upon his convictions. I wonder... If the church has lost its power and the church has lost its influence because we have made preaching the pinnacle of Christianity instead of practicing what we actually say we believe. Look, I can get up and preach a great message and impress you this morning, but if I don't live this stuff out tonight, tomorrow, this next week, what's the point? We're leading more people astray, but but faith has fruit. Faith believe, uh, begins with a belief and it ends with an action. Faith begins with a belief and ends with an action. I remember when I, uh, when I first got to college, my parents dropped me off and I'd flown all the way from New York to Dallas. And so believe me, from New York, Dallas was a whole different world. Culture shock for real for me. So I was, I was just out of my element. And, uh, and I remember that, that week was real emotional as my parents flew away and I was there by myself. But, um, you know, one of the things that is, is kind of characterizes college life is... Uh, the social atmosphere, and so after you know, classes and uh, services at night, we would all go out as friends, go out to eat, and that was, that was the thing, and I never had good Mexican food until I went to Dallas, and I know it's kind of Tex-Mex, I know that y'all can get mad at me, but it was better than anything I had before, and so I, I was really excited, but here was the problem, while we were going out to eat, we would go to Fuel City Tacos in Dallas, it's got some great tacos, if you've never been there, you need to go, we would go out to eat, but I didn't have any money. Now, I was a broke college kid. All you high school kids, I know you really want to get to college, but let me just tell you something about college. <laughs> you never have any money ever, ever. <laughs> it's all gone. And that really didn't ever It's <laughs> just that, that that's life. But literally, I had no money. So I'd go out, but I couldn't eat. And that was embarrassing. That's humiliating. And I, I'm, I like to eat. I, I don't know about you, but I like to eat. I like food. And so I remember a month in, my mom called me up and she said, "Jared, how's everything going? Your house, school?" I said, "Mom, it's amazing. You know, God's God's moving in my life. I'm learning about ministry. I'm learning about Jesus, and all this stuff is incredible." And then she she asked the quintessential Italian question, "Are you eating?" (laughs) Now you don't tell an Italian mother you're not eating. She will fly down to Dallas and cook you as much food and put you in a food coma in, in under, like, five hours. You better. And so I, but I told her, I said, Mom, you know, I'm, I'm eating the cafeteria food. You know, that kind of goes in and goes right out. But, <laughs> but, but my friends are all going out to eat, and I don't have any food. I don't have any money, so I can't have any food. Now, that was not okay with her. But she said this to me. She said, What do you mean you don't have any money? I said, Mom, I don't have a job yet. I'm still looking for a job. I tried Valet, but I don't know how to do that, so I just don't have any money. She said, Jared, I put $1,000 in your bank account last month. Uh, What? (laughs) Do you know how many tacos I could have had with (laughs) $1,000? I have not been eating any tacos, and I've had $1,000. A taco's $1.25. Do the math. $1,000. is like almost 1,000 tacos. She said, yeah, you know that little thing called a debit card that I gave you right before you went to college? That's what that's for. You swipe it and money magically appears. (laughs) I had no idea. I only used cash. If I actually believed that I had money in my account, maybe I would have swiped the card and reaped the benefits of what was already mine. I'm starting early. Listen, maybe you're living a less than Christian life because you don't realize that healing was deposited in your account 2,000 years ago. Maybe you're living in bondage because you don't realize deliverance was deposited in your account 2,000 years ago. And all you got to do is swipe the card. Just look at your neighbor and swipe the card. Say, it belongs to me. I got it. Swipe that card. Faith begins with a belief, but it ends with an action. Hezekiah didn't just preach what he he believed. He practiced it. Not only did he wage war against the enemy, the sin patterns and the habits. Listen, just because you got saved and you answered the altar call, that is incredible. Moments with God, they mark us. I love that. But at the end of the day, you are going to have to realize that the devil hates you. And he does not want you to win. So if he can get you distracted with doubts that you don't really have what Jesus said you have, then you can keep running around wondering why you're still in bondage when you've already been set free. He wages war against the enemy. But I love this too. This is what he does. It says that he breaks down the bronze serpent. You remember what that was for? You remember when Moses erected that bronze serpent? for the Israelites to look upon when the snakes were biting them and they were dying. And God said, if they look at the serpent, they will be healed. But what happened was because they had gone astray, they started worshiping a form instead of their father. So not only did he break sin patterns, but he broke religious systems that I have to do this much and I have to pray this much, and I have to accomplish this much. He broke all of that. Why? Because his faith had fruit. My question to you this morning is, is your faith evident by your actions? If someone were to look at your life, would they be able to say, you look like Jesus based on the way that you live your life. The love of God pours out of you. Or is it just a concept? Is it just an idea? Faith needs fruit. But something happens in Hezekiah's life that He didn't expect either. You know, the guy who did all the right things and followed the rule book. In a moment, something changes. And I want you to go over to second Kings chapter 20. And I want you to read this with me. It says this verse one, second Kings chapter 20. In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos went to him and said, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order for you shall die and not live. Can anybody say bad day? (laughs) Imagine coming to church while you walk into a new church, your first time guest. Hey, we're so glad you're here. Man, I really feel like God has a plan and a purpose for you. Let me just hear the word. Okay, the word for you is that you're going to die tomorrow. Yeah, I'm going to go find another church. (laughs) There's no way. Hezekiah has done all the right things, right? I mean, he walked in obedience. He fought against the sin patterns. He broke down religious systems. He gave his life to God. He's a man of faith. And this is the moment the faith is frustrated. You know, when your expectations and your experience don't align, when I believed for this, but I'm seeing this, that's called disappointment, discouragement doubt, unbelief, when my experience and my expectation don't align. This literally happens to me every time I try to cook because I can follow the recipe. I watched the YouTube video. I mean, they made the steak in the pan with the butter, but I, mine did not look like that. It doesn't come out like that. I have this gift to be able to, when I cook chicken, somehow, some way, I suck the moisture out of that thing and it's like a, it's like a brick. I don't know how I do it. I I followed the recipe. I did all the right things, but for some reason, something went wrong. Have you ever felt like that with walking with the Lord? I mean, I followed the recipe of God's word. I pay my tithes. I go to church. I pray every morning. I read my Bible. And my finances are still in disarray. My marriage is still falling apart. My friend circles are still walking away. I believed God. I did what I thought I was supposed to do, and and I'm not seeing the product that I felt was promised to me. This is the moment that faith is frustrated. But Hezekiah has this holy swagger. Just say that real quick, holy swagger. Look at your neighbor and say, I got some holy swagger. Now do it like you really mean it. Look at your other neighbor and say, no, I really got some holy swagger. Hezekiah has this holy swagger. And you know why I, tell, I say that he has swagger? It's because Hezekiah refuses to accept rejection. Hezekiah refuses to just say, I guess it's God's will. I mean, the prophet said it, right? So it just must be so. It is what it is. No, Hezekiah has too much swagger to do that. In fact, this is what the Bible says Hezekiah does. Verse 4. And it happens, sorry, verse 2. Then he turned his face to the wall. This is Hezekiah. And prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I pray how I have walked before you in truth with a loyal heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. He turned his face... To the wall. Now I know there's a lot going on out there right now. I know you're saying all this stuff. But uh, while everything around me is shaking. I need to find the one thing that stands still. I'm going to find the one thing that I know stands strong. I'm going to find the one word that I know will never change. I'm going to find the one thing. Because sometimes. The more you look around the more you start to freak out. Everyone's freaking out about the political climate of our nation. Everyone's freaking out about the economy. Everyone's freaking out about their health. Everyone's freaking out. But you know what? I got a better word. And I'm not going to look at that. I'm In fact, I'm going to ignore that. I'm going to turn my face to the wall. And I'm going to look at the word of God. Because I know that the word of God says that every promise in Christ Jesus is yes and amen. Can I help you for a second? Sometimes, instead of fighting the battle, spiritual warfare, you need to learn the power of ignore. Sometimes it's just as simple as ignore. Because the devil knows that if he can't destroy you, he'll distract you. Fighting devils, wearing yourself out, When the victory was already won, when the battle's already been won, when 2,000 years ago he took back the keys to hell and death and said, I have the victory, death, where is your sting? Sometimes you need to press the block button on Facebook unfriend, delete, just get it out of your life, get it out of your world. I'm not going to look at that because I know what the doctors are saying and I know what my friends, so-called friends are saying, but I got to stand on what God is saying. (laughs) I love Hezekiah because he refuses to allow his surroundings to determine the state of his soul. I will not let... The lies of the end. I, I know that it sounds like God has said no over my life with this thing, but I'm not staying there. Now I'm gonna face the wall. I'm gonna face the wall. Let me just tell you something, too. Facing the wall is not ignoring reality. Faith does not ignore the reality of the situation. You know those people that are sick and they say, I'm not sick. No, I'm not sick. Like, yes, you are. <laughs> and you're snotting all over me, so please stop. It doesn't ignore reality. It denies influence. I believe a higher truth over the reality that I see in the natural and the truth is that by his stripes I am healed. So I'm not going to ignore the reality. I'm just going to turn my face to a higher word. A higher truth says that I am saved. Faith needs focus. It's in the moments where faith is frustrated that we begin to evaluate our situation, right? What did I do wrong to get here? Did I choose the wrong person? Did I th- did I choose the wrong job path? Did, did I choose the wrong sport? You know, what, what, what did I do? What, how did I get myself here? But Hezekiah, he doesn't do that. Instead of evaluating his situation based on the lies and limitations of the enemy. He begins to evaluate his situation based upon the promises of God's word. God, you said that if I walk in righteousness, that you would direct my path. You said that if I would trust you, you would heal my body. You said that if I would walk in obedience, that you would bless my life. And so I'm going to stand on that word instead of allow the devil to start to throw doubt and lies into my mind. And something happens. Something begins to happen. God hears Hezekiah's prayer. I want you to read with me. It says this, verse 4. And it happened before Isaiah had gone out into the middle court that the word of the Lord came to him saying, Return and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people. Thus saith the Lord. The God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer and I have seen your tears. There's a mother in this room right now that you need to know. He has heard your prayers and he has seen your tears and he has saved every single one of them for this moment right now because he's about to pour out on your life and on your prayers and on your petitions. Surely, I will heal you on the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord so what happened Did God change his mind I mean is that even theologically possible he's perfect he knows everything how could he change his mind if he changes his mind then that means that his first thought wasn't as good as His second thought and we know that he's perfect so it can't be that there must be something else. There must be something deeper to the no. I think it's because faith, in order for faith, real faith, genuine, God-given faith to move mountains, faith needs friction. Faith needs resistance faith needs a fight faith needs something to press against i i I was you know growing up on new york we 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 uh went to the beach a lot and so on the beach we would run i remember me and my dad and my brother we'd run on the sand i don't know if you've ever run on sand before but you kind of sink into it as you run and and it's resistance against you so it slows you down it makes it more difficult that sand causes friction friction defined is resistance to motion It slows you down. It keeps you from getting to where you want to go. If I were to roll a ball on the stage, friction would stop it at some point. But just this past week, and worship team, you guys can come up. Just this past week, I got stuck in New York. Because I was preaching at a church and was about to fly out on Monday. And then that bomb blizzard thing came and hit us. So I got stuck. And as I was driving to the airport... After ice and snow and sleet had covered the ground, I was driving on the roads and I looked on the roads and you know what I saw? Sand! You know why? Because sand creates friction. And you can't move forward unless you have friction. The same thing that can slow you down. Is the same thing that can send you forward. And what the devil sent to destroy you, God is gonna use it to deliver you. He's gonna use it to send you forward. It's all a matter of perspective. You see, because we serve a God that can take something. And turn it around for my... In fact, I believe that that's a promise in the word, Pastor Mark. That he is a God that can turn around anything for my good. As long as I am one who loves him. And I believe I'm in a company of people who love and believe that God is going to turn around your situation. But Why? because I'm not satisfied with because I said so. I still need to understand why. And I think the answer is found in the next verse. God not only promises to heal Hezekiah, look at what he says. Verse six, and I will add to your days 15 years. You see, Hezekiah had known God as healer because he was there for the serpent but he hadn't seen God as a Resurrector yet you see something had to happen in his life where the paradigm would shift Where he would understand God as healer and provider and begin to see God as the resurrection and the life you can't have resurrection without death but when there's a proclamation of death the life can walk into the room and begin to raise every dead thing and add and multiply you see God doesn't just want to heal you he doesn't just want to restore your marriage He wants to make it better than it's ever been. He doesn't just want to restore your child. He wants to call them into ministry and give them a purpose. He doesn't just want to give you blessing. He wants to multiply your finances so you can begin to sponsor children to go to camp and sponsor this church to expand and see the city of San Antonio saved for the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's more to the story. Would you stand all over this room? As I close this message, there's just one more thing, because the story's not over. Because Hezekiah's got this holy swagger. So Isaiah says, all right, this is what God's going to do. Not only is he going to heal you and raise you up, he's going to give you 15 more years. But Isaiah, he's like, no, I can't go down like that, because you gave me a bad word. So I need to know that I know that I know that this is going to change. Isaiah says, all right, I'll give you two options. The first one is, you see that sundial over there? Supernaturally, God can make the shadow go forward. Or, supernaturally, God can make the shadow go backwards. Which one do you want? Most of us have lived in the realm of saying, I don't want to look at that pain anymore. I don't want to talk about it. Let's just ignore that it ever happened. I want to move forward. Let's just start a new day. Because it's too painful to look at what has been waging war against my life. I can't go back. I can't talk about it. I don't want to to see it. Hezekiah has some holy swagger. And he says, nah. You see, I know somebody else might say, let's just move on and not talk about it but I had too much stolen from me and I seem to remember that God restores everything that the devil stole from me so I'm going to need you to turn that shadow backwards because I need the devil to know that God is going to restore everything you stole from me I'm going to get it back tenfold right now You see, it looked like a no, but God was really just wanting to reveal what you know about who he is. And about his character and about how much he loves you and about how much he wants to reach you and about how much he wants to bless you you see that no was just a test but when you stand on the yes of heaven that every promise is yes and amen in Christ Jesus I know that even when it looks like a no I've got a yes over my life even when it seems like a no I have a yes so my invitation this morning is simple maybe you came in here broken and battered and bruised and bleeding wondering if the thing that you've been believing for is ever going to happen you've got this disappointment and discouragement and, and you're frustrated your faith it's in the middle of the friction. But I came to tell you this morning that if you would see the friction as the force that's going to move you forward, that if you come to this altar and you take a step of faith, that the devil is going to shake because he realizes that you actually see the resistance as something God is going to use for your blessing. So I want to know. I want to ask you. Are you here this morning believing for something that has yet to come to pass? And you're on the edge of forgiveness of, of, of letting it go. I, I won't believe on it anymore. Maybe I just have to live with this. I came to prophesy to you this morning. You will live and not die. If that's you. Right now, I just want you to slip up out of your seat. I want you to come to this altar. I want you to take a step of faith and come to this place declaring that in the name of Jesus, this no ends now. I have the yes of heaven. I have the yes of Jesus Christ over my life, over my marriage, over my purity, over my relationships, over my finances, over my education, over every area of my life. I know it looks like a no, but I'm going to turn my face to the wall and I'm going to declare that the resurrection resurrecting king is resurrecting me in this place right now lift your hands and begin to declare the resurrected king you've been hurt. I know that you've had pain caused and inflicted upon you. I know that you've been abandoned and that you've been rejected. But don't you ever confuse that pain and that rejection by coming from the one who has stood by your side, has made clear the path in front of you your father has never abandoned you, has never rejected you. He is right here, right now, in this place. Right now, there are some of you, you don't even feel like you have the ability to dream. Some of you, you don't even feel like you have the ability to love again. But today, the love of Christ The yes of heaven is going to descend upon your life, and that that love, that yes, is going to melt away every barrier, every wall, every hindrance, every obstacle, and it's going to cover you afresh. I want you to lift your hands all across this altar, all across this room, and I'm going to prophesy over you, believing that the no ends now. I'm not on a time limit with God. God, you do it whenever you want, but I'm crying out. I'm turning my face towards the wall, and I'm going to say, I believe in the yes. So right now, in the name of Jesus, I declare over every hand raised that the no ends now in Jesus' name. I declare, you shall live and not die. Dreams restored. Marriages restored. Families restored. Christos! So I just heard something specific, and I I wouldn't have done this if I didn't hear the Lord, but very specifically, there's a grace in the room for marriage restoration. There's, There's just, there's a grace. I feel God moving on this thing right now. There are some of you, and I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hands or embarrass yourselves, but I would say this. There are some of you who have literally asked the question this week, Did I make the right choice with this person? And even the thought of walking away has allowed an open door for the devil to come in with doubt. You've seen, you started noticing other people. You started noticing other couples. And and, and God wants to shut that door and to bind you together. So I want us just to close our eyes across this room. Everyone close your eyes. And if you're a married couple that's struggling and you're wrestling and you believe, you've tried believing them but you just haven't gotten anywhere, I want you just to make some point of contact whether it's grabbing each other's hand or uh, putting your hand on their shoulder. Some point of contact that means we're, we're coming together right now. We're uniting. We're agreeing. The Bible says wherever two or three are gathered when they agree on a thing, specifically when it comes to unity in relationships, that God is in their midst. And so right now, all across this room, with nobody looking around, I want you to make a point of contact with that person. And if they're not here, and you're standing in the gap, I want you to put your hand on your heart, because that person lives in that place. Right now, I want to prophesy. Your marriage will live and not die. In the name of Jesus, I prophesy a a restoration of affection in Jesus name, a restoration of attraction in Jesus name, a restoration of trust in Jesus name, a restoration of hope in Jesus name. And God would declare over your marriage that you will not just be a team You will be partners. And I will use you. I will flow through you. I will flow in you. And you will change the world as you unite with one another. So in the name of Jesus, God, release your anointing on marriages in this house. Let this be a house of God-ordained union in Jesus' name. Let's sing one more time.